Welcome to Dig It. This is The Speaker. I'm here with my co-host, The Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you girls doing? Doing good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Busy. (laughs) I think we all are. We're all pretty scattered this week. There's a lot going on. Just juggling multiple projects. In in my opinion, it's a pretty good week so far. Oh, yeah. I've been having fun. I still don't think we have numbers on Iowa finalized yet. And just a reminder to people, we record on Wednesdays, and this comes out on Friday morning. Corey always has to check that in. Because we're going to talk in like real time, and then it could become confusing, you know? Yeah. So, so the things we're going to touch on today is some bullet points. We're going to talk about the Iowa caucus that happened the other day and the shitstorm that that was. We're going to talk about impeachment, the State of the Union yesterday, chapter two of Corey's article. Book? Article. It is a book. I'm sorry. The AIDS $90 billion slush fund, but this is chapter two specifically on Bill Gates, the global fund. Ooh, interesting. And we're going to talk about our article that Edge and I put out, mostly Edge. I just kind of helped her with a few little tidbits, but um, that is the burgeoning of, of Asian bioweapons. That was a and, good one. Yeah. So we're working on the Thank video you. now. Nice. Trying to get that out slowly. Hopefully we'll have part one of that out soon. Yep. Nice. Yep. Iowa caucus. We're still waiting on numbers and wow. Shit show is right. That was, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you though, I've been working so hard and staying up really late hours because I'm, I'm, ju- I'm working on the book, but I'm juggling several things around that as well. And I have never laughed so hard in my life. Like that, that night, while we kept waiting on numbers, the jokes, like everyone was just chiming in on jokes on that. It was hysterical. <laughs> it was funny. What a debacle. For the first caucus of the year, especially this just kind of sealed a lot of pe- people's opinions about the Democratic Party. It was horrendous. And, and apart from the things that have happened afterwards, recanting votes, all this failure, and to anyone with an idea of what's going on in this field, it looks like rigging. Right. Absolutely. Especially with the background, and I don't have all the details on it because I haven't had time to really dig into it, but where they're talking about the voter application or those that were behind that and the connections to uh, Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, there's just been so many conspiracies flying around out there. And, and Booty Judge. He has some sort of connection with that app company as well. Yeah. Even Lindsey um, Graham had posted something about it. He has said, uh, <laughs> good one. You know, who designed the app? Former Clinton campaign staffers. And then he goes on to say, and he, he, he retweeted in an old tweet of Comey of him standing in the cornfield in, in, <laughs> in Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> and then he says, where's Comey when we need him? Yeah, that was a good one. There were some uh, really good ones. I want to know the final count numbers because i'm curious to see how many people actually went out and voted for the democrats voted versus uh republican because trump you know took it at what was it 97.1 percent and um i want to say it was right around 36,000 votes no 31,464 Ah, okay. Thank you. I'm just curious to see, you know, how many Democrats turned out to vote. Because right now, if you go in and look at their count, their numbers, that whole column is jacked. I mean, obviously more than 300 people voted for one person. You know, it's, pr- it's pretty skewed right now. Well, so well at, at the moment, 71% reportedly has come in. You've got Biden not even coming or just coming in the top four, which had him down to like sixth prior to this thing got taken off. 
before the live count got taken out. Bernie was in front. That got changed to booty jug. Biden's gone up a bit too. It's, it's an absolute disaster. It's a massive win for Trump. The Republican oh, yeah. vote and all that, that went off fine. That happened within a couple of hours after voting. Trump picks up 39 delegates, and the only people getting close to him are like with 300, 400 votes. Oh, and then Buttigieg already came out and um, accepted his win with zero results. And Biden, wasn't he having like his his uh, team saying, insisting, or his attorney or something? What was it? Yes. Insisting that they don't release any results yet. What was it? Quality control. <laughs> yeah. Quality yeah. Control. It's just basic mathematics. I mean, you've got the ballots and all that as well. Simply count them. It's not hard. Do it manually Obviously, if you have there to. weren't that many votes to be counted, so. It doesn't take you three days to pull something like this in. That's why people right. look at this and they go. And, and they immediately been, think it's rigged. And so right. everybody's assuming that it's just another repeat of 2016 where the DNC is stealing it from Bernie again. It's it's such a disaster. I mean, it really, the way the whole thing has been handled is absolutely astonishing. But for us, just sitting on the sidelines, it was hysterical. It was, you can't pay for entertainment like that. <laughs> it was good I, fun. The thing with this, though, like I said, the, the Democrats are so fractured with their voting base. I've, I've seen so many Yang supporters cracking shits at Booty Judge supporters saying that he's rigged it. I've seen yeah. heaps of Sanders supporters cracking shits at Booty Judge, saying that he's rigged it. So they're so fractured within their own party. And then you've got such a, a you know, at least here, 97% of the Republican Party rallying around one candidate. Foreshadowing of what more that we're going to see in the near future. I can't wait. And then the next night we get the State of the Union address. And then today we're going to get the acquittal. It's just glorious. The State of the Union address, I actually went over to my parents' house to watch that. That was a breath of fresh air after listening to nothing but hyperbolic lies for the past several weeks on this whole impeachment ordeal. So I don't know. I know you guys didn't get to see the whole thing. It was really good. He, you know, he, he covered, of course, all the accomplishments. And of course, immediately the media is coming out with their fact checking and they're trying to, trying to debate it all. But it's just, you know, he said to those watching at home tonight, I want you to know, we will never let socialism destroy American health care. And he, I liked that he went after New York and California on their sanctuary cities and talked about, you know, working with ICE, how with their new laws over in New York, how they've been releasing people. And we've seen several articles on that. I thought he was going to bring up the recent uh, fentanyl one, but he didn't. He brought up one of someone who was tragically killed and his brother was there. His name was Jody. I cannot remember his last name, but oh my God, he was like a giant teddy bear and he was crying and I just wanted to hug the guy. So then he got into immigration and the border and said very soon, I think he said early next, by early next year, we'll have 500 miles completed on the wall. He said, you know, they've been working really hard with border control and everything and that as a result of our unprecedented efforts, illegal crossings are down 75% since May, dropping eight months in a row. So that's pretty fantastic. Uh, and of course, he got into the free health care to illegal immigrants, that, that there's legislation on the table that, you know, they're trying to put through and 
he's obviously bringing attention to that saying, you know, absolutely not. We cannot do that. And um, he talked about trying to put a stop to the full term abortions and keeping our second amendment rights. And there was a lot in there. It was really good. He was really polished it. Oh, after I even flipped to uh, CNN, because I just want to see, you know, how they're reporting on it. And shockingly, they actually covered, because I thought for sure they were going to show him not shaking Pelosi's hand, but then not show her tearing up the speech at the end. So I'm sure you guys saw clips of that, whether you saw the whole thing or not. It's, it basically took over social media. And, and on one level, that's good because it just shows how ridiculously childish, out of control, you know, disrespectful to Americans that they've become. But on the other hand, it's completely monopolized social media instead of talking about his speech and the points he's made. You know what I mean? I think it's all still all works in our favor, you know, and, and, you know, I like the white house's response, which was right after she had ripped it up. The white house tweeted out speaker Pelosi just ripped up one of our last surviving Tuskegee airmen, the survival of a child born at 21 weeks, the mourning families of Rocky Jones and Kayla Mueller, a service members reunion with his family. That is her legacy. Yeah, that was that was a good tweet. I saw that one too. We've seen we've seen heaps of phone calls come after this too. Like I said, eighty two percent of independent voters like this speech. Right? Yeah, I saw That's that. Massive. That that is massive. And those are the base that you really want to touch. Because at the moment a lot of the Democrats, not all of them, a lot of them are still very old school Democrats. And those are the ones that I've noticed that have been calling in as well, saying that they're absolutely disgusted with the behavior of the Democrats. It's not the party that they were a part of. It's not the party they even recognize anymore. It has become a communist party. Right. And and the whole time, you know, she knows she's, she's on camera right behind them. So Pelosi's just sitting there making her facial expressions, talking to herself. So just, bizarre. These mumbles. And it's what? like, it's like she kept biting her lips biting her tongue like i'm just waiting for her to explode i mean i really thought at some point she was just gonna like stand up and god knows what (laughs) yeah it was like every single time trump said something that warranted an applause and she knew that she wasn't going to applause she was like oh i gotta find something to do so she would like quickly look at her papers and act like she was reading something and it was bizarre There, there was one time though that was really funny gosh i'm trying to remember i actually tweeted it out in the moment but it it was like she was confused. She wasn't sure if she was supposed to clap or not. And I'm thinking, God, is there like a little diagram on those pages where she's got little clapping hands next to the ones that it's <laughs> clapped next to? And she just forgot because she started to and then she stopped and then she looked out to her side and she's like, not sure what to do. It was, it was really bizarre. They are filled with this sort of hatred, dark energy at the moment that you can all see, anyone that's watching can see. And the one Democrat that stood out was uh, Christian Asanema, I think it was, from Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year, she did the same thing. She broke ranks with that. And I can, I can respect that because that has to be a hard thing to do, especially in the State of the Union when you're surrounded with communists. So I can respect that from her. I don't trust her in any way. But then again, I don't trust half the GOP, so... <laughs> I remember last year, Cinema stood up and clapped when she wasn't supposed to. She yeah. got reprimanded oh, for well, that. Well, tried to put her in her place. She didn't listen, though. Mm-hmm. See, and that, to me, 
was the most telling thing about these, and we saw the same thing last year. The most telling thing to me is the only time the Democrats stand up is if they had some level of involvement in that legislation or, you know, in the talking point that he is talking about, the accomplishments. If they had anything to do with it, they stand up because they're clapping for themselves. But everything else he says, even, you know, the good stuff, the low unemployment rates, or I mean, some really important stuff in there, stuff where he was talking about African-Americans yes, and the yes. education system and everything. They won't even applaud for that. I know, it's ridiculous. So it's so applauding for Americans. They're only applauding for themselves. It's disgusting. It exposes how fraudulent they are because they're uh-huh. supposed to be the party that represents the minorities or that's what they claim to be. Right, but then they won't even applaud it. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Oh, they won't even clap for a six-year-old black girl. So right. they want to describe everyone else as racist. And like, see, so that was the difference between Sunema when um, Senator uh, Tim Scott got, got a clap for his work in local communities. And she stood up and clapped for that. And it, it seems like with their interactions on Twitter that they might actually be friends in some sort of a way. So which is kind of good to see a bit of things going across the aisle, which you don't really expect in this political climate at all. Because the Democratic Party, like I said before, are not the old Democratic Party that they used to be. I mean, they've fallen under the, the, the guise of socialism, of communism. I mean, when you have Bernie Sanders, like, you know, c- coming up seconds in polls and stuff like that, it shows you they don't have the... And you've got Joe Biden, the classical capitalistic uh, liberal, just fallen well short. It, it shows you what their party's become. I mean, you've got Pelosi taking orders from three radical Democrats who are socialists more than anything else. They hate America. It's quite clear that they hate America. They do. And it was really, it was really sad when, um, you know, Rush Limbaugh got the Medal of Freedom and they couldn't even stand and applaud for him. Because in their views, he's racist. And that's why they won't clap. And in, in their views, everything Trump's saying is lying. So they won't clap. But that's how, that's how they see it. That's, that's... Speaking of this, Something that's, that's really irked me is when the announcement came out that he was in stage four of lung cancer, and, and that's just awful because I've, I've lost people to that. Uh, many prayers go out to him. What's so sad is you guys remember during impeachment when Nadler made the announcement that he had to leave because he was going to have to leave early or couldn't make it one day as well because his wife was dealing with cancer. I don't remember what form she had, but what did we all do? We all sent out prayer. Even though we do not care for or even respect Nadler, when it comes to stuff like that, show some damn respect. But when this announcement came out about Rush, I just could not believe the level of evil that was coming out of the left targeting, you know, saying horrific things. I don't even want to repeat what they said, but it was horrific things instead of prayers. And that right there... That's very revealing to me. Oh, yeah. It should be revealing to a lot of people. Look, I don't like some of these people. I think they're completely evil. But if something like that happens, I, I do have a respect for death. I mean, I won't, I won't pander and I won't pretend. I won't write a message on Twitter or something saying, you know, get well soon. I won't do it. I'll simply just stay away from it. There's certain yeah. lines, of course. You just don't yeah. cross. And yeah, there it seems like they, they just have thrown all of that out the window. 
as per, you know, Pelosi tearing up the speech. So I haven't had a chance the last couple days to watch what's going on with the impeachment. I know today we're getting the vote, but it seems like it's dragging on and we might not get that until tonight, long after we've been done recording. I mean, we already know he's going to be acquitted, but I think we're still waiting for Romney to come up and speak. Uh, Romney's just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just voted. The president is guilty of a pollen abuse of trust. So he's the first GOP to vote for removal. Yep. Really? He would vote to convict, stating that the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. Of course, Romney. Wow. He's done. So, yeah, I'm going to give you guys some some highlights from the impeachment. And guess what, Speaker? This is the (laughs) last time. Yay. We will have to talk about it. I don't it. want to talk about it anymore either. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like praying. I'm praying in the corner and dancing a little bit at the moment because cannot wait till this thing's done. Well, it's pretty much done. We know he's going to be acquitted. Democrats do not have the number of votes to reach it. So it's a done deal. It's just a matter of who's going to fall where. And there were a few people that were on the fence. So I'm going to go through a few of those, touch on a couple of highlights. So Doug Jones, a Democrat from Alabama, is one of them. He did say that he reluctantly will vote to convict, stating, I will vote to convict the president on both articles of impeachment. And Jones was seen as a possible swing vote because he's running for re-election in Alabama, a state that you know is heavily supportive of Trump. Or was in 2016, I assume. So, you know, right. it will be the case in 2020. So I would imagine he's probably done too. <laughs> right. We'll have to see. But so Doug Jones was just one of those swing votes. Uh, there was Joe Manchin, the uh, Democrat from West Virginia. He was another. And after staying on the fence, he proposed a formal censure of the president rather than a removal. Lisa Murkowski was another one. She's a Republican from Alaska. And she said on Monday that she does not want to disenfranchise nearly 63 million Americans. Oh, well, she did say Trump's behavior was shameful and wrong but that she cannot vote to convict. And then Susan Collins was very similar to Murkowski in that she stated somewhat of the same thing, saying, I do not believe the House has met its burden that the president's conduct, however flawed, warrants the extreme step of immediate removal from office. Do these spineless rhinos (laughs) realize... (laughs) (laughs) they're they're not doing themselves any favors i mean they're making enemies on both sides really and here's the thing if there was any validity to this case and they voted that way i would say well good for them for sticking to their convictions you know but everyone knows this whole thing is a freaking sham and they know it is so that makes it 10 times worse yeah. And just reading this that came in, because we were giving some Nima some credit before, she's going to vote to convict Trump too, which I suspected was going to happen anyway. Cinema. Yes. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I expected that anyway. So one of the highlights from this week uh, was this interesting moment that caused a bit of controversy when Senator Rand Paul gave his speech and he revealed a poster sitting next to him by the podium that had the question he presented to Justice Roberts a few days <laughs> earlier. 
<laughs> but Justice Roberts would not read the question because it had the name Eric Chiaramella on it. And what I love about this is that Rand Paul's question was very clever and that it did not actually identify or accuse Eric Charmella of being the whistleblower. It simply asked about his connection to a shift staffer named Misko. And if they were aware of reports that the two of them were overheard plotting an impeachment prior to the impeachment inquiry. So mm. this question that, that Rand Paul proposed and that Justice Roberts denied it was actually confirming for all of us that Chiaramella is the whistleblower. (laughs) 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 And Rand Paul went on to clarify something that has been widely misreported. Just he explained that the law does not preserve anonymity for the whistleblower. His boss can't say anything and he can't lose his job for being the whistleblower but the law doesn't actually preserve his anonymity. And he also explained how if these people actually gamed the system, knowing that they could use these protections in order to take down the president, we should know about that. Absolutely. And then he went on to note that it's funny how nobody's supposed to know who the whistleblower is. Schiff claims he doesn't know. The White House counsel doesn't know. So how does Justice Roberts know? Yeah, I have a lot of, I've always had a lot of respect for Rand Paul and I don't agree on everything he says or on all of his decisions. But what I've always liked about him is he does not seem manipulated by others. He feels like he's always felt very much like his own person, strong in his convictions and, you know, says what he needs to say. And uh, with with very little fear there. He's outspoken. And I've just always respected that about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does appear that Rand Paul is not compromised, as many of them are. But one little tidbit for to look forward to, uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who is in line to be Speaker, if the Republicans win the House back, said he doesn't think that this political impeachment should stay on the books, signaling that if they do win the House back, that they're going to expunge that impeachment off the record. And not only that, but he plans to get to the bottom of how this whole impeachment plan started, including investigating how Schiff has connections with the whistleblower. Hmm. I have a question. I'm, something my mom mentioned to me the other day. She said, I don't know if it was Shifty saying this or what, talking about how if they suddenly got information from Bolton or they brought in additional information, they can somehow kick in this impeachment all over again. Is there any, any validity to that? Because I, I, I missed a lot of the um, hyperbolic lies coming out on this. Look, I'm not a legal expert, but wouldn't that be double jeopardy? You can't... No, apparent, she said apparently like a double, double jeopardy doesn't play a role with impeachment or something, or at least that's what they were saying, <laughs> what she was hearing. And so I'm like, huh, I'll have to ask around about that when I'm not familiar. Uh, that sounds like fake news to me, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't see that being a possibility. And if they do, it's their own. I mean, they're already going to be just killed in this yep. next election and yep. 
and you know any future elections the the more they do this they're just digging their their own grave so now that this is coming to an end i wonder what their next charade's going to be they got to drum up something good question (laughs) they've gone through the alphabet already more false flags i don't know we don't want any more. Just stop. Just stop. They're not, it's funny because they think they're going to wear him down. And all this does is just fuel his fire and energize him. You know, like how they believe after all this time that this stuff is going to wear him down. It's just amusing. I mean, it may be wearing us down. but I think, look, these people are literally fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their freedom. A lot of them are involved in investigations that are ongoing and know that their time is almost up and their last ditch effort was to try to impeach trump i think they will get more desperate so look i mean i hate to say this because i don't want to incite panic or anything but they're, they're gonna keep fighting back and trying to just just stay out of prison. Just keep your heads on a swivel, you know, stay vigilant. Because I, th- I think these kind of people are capable of anything, really. Right. Well, let's roll into our books and articles because uh, we've, gone, we've gone quite a, quite a while now, haven't we? Sure. All right. So I'm rolling out chapter two, which will already be out by the time this podcast airs. And chapter two, so this is on the is... AIDS, $90 billion in taxpayer dollars, a global slush fund. And this is chapter two, which is specifically on the global fund, which is Bill Gates. So the founders are actually Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, Kofi Annan, who's now deceased, Amir Adaran, and Jeffrey Sachs. And just so people have the scope of this, they really need to read chapter one first. It's um, already on my website, historical timeline showing the uh, slush fund from when the global fund started back in, uh, well, it was founded in 2000 and launched in 2002. And then 2003, PEPFAR was launched, which was the funding arm from our government. So PEPFAR has already given $18 billion to the global fund. And the global fund was established on August 19th, 2000, when Bill Clinton signed a bill to establish it. And that is coincidentally the same year that Bill Gates launched Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which I'm covering both of those in chapters three and four. Uh, It's going to be about a 25-chapter book. So there's, um, like I mentioned, there's 35 governments involved in this, but the U.S. pays the biggest chunk of that. And uh, most of the funding, 95% of the funding to the Global Fund comes from governments. And 72% of their funds go to Sub-Saharan Africa. There is so much to this. This is just, it's so huge to unravel, which is why I'm rolling out one chapter at a time. They're literally, they're based out of Geneva, Switzerland. That's where their only office is, even though they're operating, you know, they're kind of like a financial mechanism that funds, <laughs> well, you'll see, I show, the, I show a lot of the cash flow in this. So they allegedly fund these health ministries and, um, you know, Catholic Relief Services and the UNDP, who they, you know, they partner with, Clinton Health Access Initiative, and 
they're handling everything kind of on the ground in these other countries for delivering the medications, allegedly, to the people that need it for HIV and AIDS. So just to give you an idea, well, let me back up. So they're located in Geneva, Switzerland, which is not subject to U.S. taxation, jurisdiction, or law. And then Bush went and signed an executive order providing them with additional privileges, exemptions, and immunities, which also extends to its assets, archives, and officials acting their official capacity. So I break down kind of the background, and each chapter is going to be like this, because I'm covering about, I've lost track, 20 to 30 NGOs that are involved in this, some of the top ones that are receiving funding and working within this little network. And they, I show the, the scandals involved, the financial scandals, the drug delivery scandals. In the conclusion of the book, I'm getting specifically into HIV, the virus itself, saving the best for last. So just to give you guys an example. So Bono, everyone's favorite person, who has product Red, which is a brand. It is not a company. They promote it as though it's a company. And they tell people and they promote that you need to go buy red products. And that money is going to go towards the global fund. So they say, well, we've already saved lives. We've given $500 million to the global fund. Well, technically it's $467 million because I ran the numbers. And so he also, Bono also has the one campaign. So follow this. Bono raises money through Product Red and gives $467 million to the Global Fund throughout the years. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation turns around and gives Product Red $2 million and then gives his one campaign $197 million. Here's another fun example. Comic Relief has contributed $34.3 million to the Global Fund. They've also contributed between one and five million to Clinton Health Access Initiative. But the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation turns around and gives $29 million to Comic Relief. So uh, mm. I, ha I have like a whole network of like all this money flow and have a massive spreadsheet going on all this. And I'm basically throughout each chapter breaking down the organizations, breaking down the money flow, breaking down the scandals, actual reports that have been reported on these scandals, some congressional hearings, and kind of take you through all of this to see where all of our taxpayer dollar money is really going. It'll be, the way I'm rolling this out is you have full access to chapter one on my website, and it's also available, each chapter will be available in the bookshop, it's just $2.95, download in PDF. But then from chapters two on, here on out, I'll have the intro summary on my website. And if you, you can either purchase the full chapter in the bookshop or if you become a patron, which would be fantastic. So I can keep doing this work. Then you'll have full access. I'll, I, you'll have full access for no cost to all of the chapters. So, awesome. Yeah. You guys did a rockin' article that we just published, gosh, was that yesterday or the day before? Uh, yesterday, I think. Yesterday. <laughs> uh. <laughs> like Ed, Ed, Ed and I, for like the last 24 hours, have just been trying to work on this. On this the video? This video, yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing article. Everyone should read it. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in there I wasn't aware of with our history. 
Yeah, me too. So, so a little bit of backstory. Speaker has been working on this dig on Unit 731, which was a special unit of the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, I, I, I say Unit 731 a lot in the video. Either way, either way. <laughs> He'd been working on this forever, and it was really interesting. I never knew this history. I was working on researching into coronavirus and the history with the Chinese and biological research, and we kind of met in the middle and found how, how actually the biological weapons that were used by the Japanese were really heavy, heavily influential on the reason why the Chinese started their own biological weapons program. And so we get into the history of it, but it goes all the way up to currently today what we're dealing with now. And we also review the SARS scenario because that was actually a really good case scenario to analyze and, and, and look at how things are really repeating with this current coronavirus situation. Definitely check it out. Yeah, it was, it was amazing, especially the part about in Japan, you know, and how the U.S., connected in there and the years and I'm like, oh my God, I have to go in and cross reference this to my eugenics report and it just gets like the bells going. Yes. So after World War II, you know how with Operation Paperclip, we brought a lot of uh, Nazi German scientists over. I didn't realize this, but the United States actually gave secretive immunity to uh, members of Unit 731 in exchange for the biological research that they did. Very interesting. Right. Dirty deals. And we we published that um, on my site. So I'll put the link underneath. We'll put the link to both report, both of our reports underneath uh, the video on YouTube. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're going to bring this out in parts, I think, because we want to be careful because there are a lot of videos getting uh, removed about coronaviruses and stuff at the moment. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring out the first part and then the second part later, and we'll stitch them together at the end and then put a full one on there as well later on. That's the plan. We're looking at doing it kind of like documentary style because we really want to share, you know, the the story of what happened to the Chinese citizens. It was horrific. And Japanese citizens too. Let's not and Japanese <clears throat> and even um, some of the Soviets that were captured. The majority of them were the Chinese that were just devastated by this biological warfare program by Unit 731. And we wanted to tell that story, but also talk about the Chinese citizens who have been devastated with SARS back in 2003 and now currently with this coronavirus. So, yeah. Which is now up to 24,000 cases. Wow. Yeah, is that legit? I, I uh, saw it's, that it's, flying around. And... Look, it, it's, it's probably more, Corey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would go more into it's higher than it is lower. Hmm. I, I, I know you don't want to go on this, but this is Chinese numbers. What Chinese. we've learned from, from SARS in 2003 is that the Chinese heavily suppressed their numbers and they did it, what we know from just the past couple of months, they've been suppressing numbers too. They don't, right. they're concerned about their economy because of coronavirus and how they're, they're concerned about inciting, you know, fear and panic, but also they're just, there's zero transparency. So even among the levels within their government, there's zero transparency. There's no communication. So at the lower levels, 
they're likely not getting valuable information to the upper levels for fear of being reprimanded. That's what happened back in the SARS situation. Mm. And so they can't respond in a timely manner. And so it's just completely inefficient. It looks like it's a lot like what happened in 2003. Yeah, so it's reported that there's 490 deaths now from this, which has exceeded SARS by 190 already. And usually with this type of virus, which is actually classified in with like flus, it's uh, which they're now treating with the flu, um, flu shots and HIV medications in some cases, uh, it will see like a spike for a month or two and then it'll just, it'll like dip back down and then go away. So it'll, uh, we'll have to keep our eyes on this one. For sure. And something before we close out, I just want to mention (laughs) is this tweet because it got a lot of retweets. There's a tweet, I'm not even going to mention names, but there's a tweet that went out that said, there were a total of 12 individuals who saw Anthony Weiner's laptop computer, which contained incriminating information on Hillary Clinton and other powerful individuals in the United States. Nine of those 12 people, including the NYPD officers, are dead now. And I'm looking at this and my jaw just drops because I'm thinking, wow, I read the IG report and I've gone through the court docs and I just, where is he getting 12 individuals from, right? So, I mean, if you're going to make a blanket statement like that, then give us the 12 names who saw Anthony Weiner's laptop. We can do the rest. We can cross-reference to those that have passed away. And I think most people are familiar with, um, I believe there were a total of nine or 10 Uh, NYPD officer suicides last year, tragically. I actually had done a thread on that because there were a group, I want to say there were like three or four that happened in just one week's time. And so sure, it it was suspicious. I did look at past numbers on that and there have been, you know, those numbers were a little higher. I want to say like the year before it was five suicides. Don't hold me to that. I did this thread last year. So there was definite, you know, suspicion there and everyone was going as soon as someone else would pass away they'd say oh he saw wiener's laptop but i have yet to date seen any evidence or as far as the names or amount of people who actually had eyes on it and so my response to this was this is a huge claim if you're referencing the suicides many didn't work in the same locations and or were retired if you have names and evidence they even saw the laptop spill. If not, this is a good way to push propaganda and there's enough of that already. Now, I'm not saying this isn't plausible. I think everyone who's followed my work knows Clintons are my number one target. I'm fully aware of what these evil people are capable of. I even have the Clinton death list in my resources that CBS published years back because they list names, they list how they're affiliated with the Clintons, and they listed how they died or allegedly died. So. I got so attacked by people on this. I was called like a commie and, and you know, you're, a, you're trying to label us conspiracy and this is a factual statement. What he said is fact. And I'm like, okay, all I'm asking for is a list. Like point me to the document that shows the 12 people that saw his laptop. That's it. But to, to go in and retweet this and it got almost 30 thousand likes and 20,000 retweets. This is why we get labeled conspiracy theorists because there's nothing to back this up. And I mean, that's a huge statement. Nine of these 12 people are dead. 
but I don't know how many eyes actually physically saw it. And I haven't found any of those names in documents specifically. So I remember Eric Prince speaking about NYPD officers, I believe, seeing the laptop. I don't ever remember him saying how many or who. Right. So how is he coming up with the number 12? You know, that's that's what I want to know. Yeah, I do strongly believe that that some of these deaths of NYPD officers may have something to do with the Wiener laptop, but that's just my theory. You know, when we're working a theory and we want to present it, we can present it. This is my theory, but it's it's different when you're presenting things as fact without the supporting evidence. What frustrates me is that people want to shut down the conversation when you ask for evidence, because say, right. I, I, I'm on your side. Hey, I believe, right. I believe your theory, okay? Or at least I'm willing to listen to it. But let's look right. at, for some supporting evidence. Why do people want to shut that conversation down, right? Right. And there were some people in here that even follow me and that who knows how much of my work, they obviously haven't read my work because they immediately just attacked me as though I'm on Clinton's side here, <laughs> which obviously I'm not. The one thing I found pretty insulting, which is why I had to chime in a little bit, is the fact that one of them called you a communist. I mean, what the hell is that? That's, yeah, they start making the personal attacks when you're asking just for evidence. We're supposed to be doing our jobs as getting the truth out. We mm-hmm. need to present it with some supporting evidence instead of just making wild claims. It just, Otherwise, we're no better than the damn MSM who's doing this crap all the time. It just seems very clickbaitish. It got a lot of retweets. So I just had to, I just had to add that in. We're going to finish it off, kids. All right. So thanks for listening to us here on Dig It with the Speaker, myself, the Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Be sure to share this podcast. We are now on Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, YouTube. We'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thanks. Yay.